Well, I've got uh, a few pages of notes. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's not as dense as I thought this was going to be. Like as I as I remembered it, it's quite quick. In some ways, yeah. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna talk about that. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hello and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. I'm Darren. Here on Filling in the Gaps, we typically talk about puzzle games and puzzling movies. Today, we're going to talk about Pi from 1998. Mm -hmm. This is the movie directed by Darren Aronofsky. This is his first big film. Yep. It was written by Aronofsky, Sean Goulette, who is also the main star of the movie, and Eric Watson. On IMDb, it's 7.3. Rotten Tomato, critics at 88%, audience at 85%. It is an hour and 24 minutes. It is very 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing in the in the opening. I'm like, well, this is very opening. So just beware of that. Also beware that it is black and white. It is very grainy. I think the meaning is there. I will say this again at the end and probably throughout. I find Pi very difficult to watch just because it feels like a cacophony of just sound and visuals. And some of the visuals are really hard to watch because of the way they've chosen to film it and the way they've chosen to show it it looks like i'm gonna be honest now a really good quality student film yeah yeah that's what i thought when i when i looked at it as well i was i was an actor for a friend when he was doing film and he got me in to do something and i was like man the quality of his film was better than this <laughs> <laughs> was but, it around the same time it was around yeah yeah it was about 19 yeah about 1999 maybe the first thing I noticed about this was not not just the greyness, which I don't mind. I don't care about that at all. Most of the time I don't mind, but there are a handful of scenes where it makes it really hard to see what's going on. It is. I think they've done that on purpose. I think that was a de definitely a very a deliberate thing because of the ending. Which we can't talk about yet. Nope. But... But the first thing I noticed when you said 90s, this was a great decade for soundtracks to films because I, I have the soundtrack to this on CD. I'm not surprised. And Clint Mansell did the soundtrack to Moon that we talked about earlier uh, in the podcast as well. And uh, this was the first time I'd been introduced to him. But like in the 90s, man, Clint Mansell for Pi, Dust Brothers for the Fight Club soundtrack, the Matrix soundtrack came out in, what was that, 1999? This was like the decade of soundtracks for me. I, I, it's nostalgia. It's rose-tinted glasses and all that nonsense. But yeah, when, as soon as this movie started up, I was like, I got the, the hairs of my arms stood up. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. It brought back tons of memories. In case people are wondering, since we did already cover Mother! Exclamation mark, which is another Aronofsky film, mm -hmm. this one I find much more watchable and much more to have a story. Yeah, it doesn't mess around, does it? It's just... It has a story and it sticks to it and it doesn't, it doesn't ask you to think too much. There are definitely some Aronofsky things in here, which I'm going to say, like, overall, I'm not a huge fan of Pi, but I think that it's worth watching. I think it's worth giving a shot. And when I look at the scores, I feel like the scores are a bit high. But if they're using the same criteria that I do of thinking, well, it's worth watching and I wouldn't mind recommending this to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those numbers fit. It's the thing of, what is the criteria? Is that the criteria? Or are we saying, wow, this is that good? So you're saying it should be like a 7 point something, not an 8 point something. Yeah, or even lower. Mm. Honestly, there are some parts of the movie that are practically unwatchable. There are some bits of the story that I think just don't work and are a bit forced. But we can't get into that till we get into the spoiler section. I just, as with always, these numbers, the aggregate numbers... 
I appreciate them for what they are, but they don't really do what I want, which mm-hmm. is what we basically do with Buyer's Remorse. Did you enjoy it? Would you watch it? Would you play it again? Mm-hmm. Would you recommend it to somebody? Who would you recommend it to? Yeah, and just the overall, was it a good experience for you? Mm-hmm. These numbers don't do that. And so it makes it very confusing when something like Pi, which I think is, in my opinion, much lower than something like Moon. Like, why are the numbers the way they are? Subjective. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Before we get into the spoiler section, though, I do want to say, wasn't it you who pointed out that they're doing a remaster of Pi? A24 have released it already. They released it on Pi Day, of course, the 14th of eight, what was it March. Yeah, they've remastered it. They've cleaned it up. 4K, 8K or something like that, whatever it's up to now, 16K, who knows. But yeah, they just tidied it up because it is very gritty and grainy. And but I think honestly, I prefer it this way. I, I, I liked it because, like you said, it is. It does look like a student film, especially from the beginning. You're like, whoa! Even the credits, like the music playing over the same track playing over the the beginning credits and the end credits, is very student filmish and just the way it opens. But I haven't, I haven't seen the A24 version, so I don't know if they've added stuff or if they've like m- more like director's cut stuff in it. I don't, I don't know if anything's different. I wonder in some Maybe of the someone scenes. Can tell us in the comments if they've seen it because yeah, I, please I, let I, us know. I don't think it would entice me to watch it again. But I it would might watch entice it. Darren. To yeah, watch I would again. watch it again if they've added some new stuff. Definitely. I do kind of wonder if some of the scenes will actually be worse for being clear, or if they've cut some stuff out. Even for me, I'm not one to get bored. I, I don't mind being bored in films, and I don't mind films. I love upstream color. You hate that. I love just sitting through 10 minutes of silence. I can, I can deal with that. But even in Pi, like, especially towards the end, I was like, do we really need those last 10 minutes of nothing? Because literally nothing happens. Is it just because they needed to hit that 80-minute mark to make it a full-length thing? Is that is that the trickery that they stuffed it in? There feels like a lot of repetition Yeah. at that point. And there's also, I would say, some parts that feel like they're extended a bit more than they need to be. Mm. They could have been trimmed down to be more concise, but I'm often, that's that's often my argument. It's like, I, I want it to be as tight as yeah. possible. Because I mean, yeah, I, I rarely take notice of that or, or it rarely bothers me. But even with this, because I was taking notes and I was like, I'm not writing down anything because, honestly, I, I don't see the point of it. <laughs> Nothing happens. I also feel with Pi, though, because it is so often just sensory overload, the quiet times we do get in the movie are <laughs> incredibly valuable. And I almost feel like we need more of them. Right. But that's that's definitely my style versus the way Aronofsky wants to make his films. Mm. And that's, that's fine. <laughs> There's at least one more we will probably do. Maybe two. The Fountain? You've been talking about The Fountain for a long time. I think Requiem for a Dream is probably the one we will have to do at some point. Oof, that's rough. <laughs> okay. Well, from that expression, maybe we won't be doing that one. I mean, it's good, but it's it's a rough watch. Yeah. Okay. But I think it's the type of thing... Aronofsky, for as much as I don't really care for his style, he does make the type of films that we should be discussing. So... I will probably put myself through them. But for now, let's get into talking about Pi. So if you've not seen Pi, Darren is going to say go see it. I'd probably say go see it too. I think this is a movie where you should see it to even understand what we're talking about because I have a feeling a few things we're going to say won't make any sense unless you've seen the movie. Right. And it is worth watching once. 
And I'm going to give away a huge spoiler right as soon as we've dropped the spoiler warning. So please take note of that. So extra warning there. (laughs) Here it is, your spoiler warning. So you want to hear how my friend, one of my friends, after we'd seen Pi, turned to my other friend. He's like, have you seen Pi? No. It's like, it's amazing. He drills his head open at the end. Like, (laughs) (laughs) what? (laughs) How could you say that? Like... Even for me, that's like, yeah, whoa. I know I'm, I'm bad for letting minor spoilers drop, but come on, man. Come on. <laughs> that is probably the most memorable thing. It is, yeah. So for me, it was that. It was the bug in the computer. It, I totally forgot about that, but then when I saw it, oh, yeah, I remember a literal bug. <laughs> though for some reason in my head, I thought it was a fly. Okay. But otherwise, yeah, it's pretty much there. I also, for some reason in my head, had it that, I knew it was black and white, but for some reason I thought it had like a a colored filter over it for some reason. Okay. So now I think I'm confusing that with like a different movie as well. Mm. Because I thought it had a sort of light green filter over the whole thing. Okay. But clearly it doesn't. No. (laughs) (laughs) It is very black and white. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go through it. So, like you said, the very 90s open with the sort of techno music and that credit style. Mm. Our main character, Maximilian Cohen, played, as I said before, by Sean Collette. He wakes. He's got a bloody nose. It is a very grainy black and white film from beginning to end. Some parts, especially the night shots, are much grainier. (laughs) There's a lot of voiceover in this movie. So we're going to start with a voiceover talking about when he was six. Okay. Let me not do that right away. He says it so many times I get sick of that story. But... The first time is interesting. When he was six, yes, his mother told him not to look into the sun, so he stared far too long to the point where he damaged his eyes and he wasn't sure he's going to be able to see again. Yep. This is important to the story. It is important to his character. I just don't like the fact that we hear the story about five times in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why. I get, I get the part where he's like, restate my assumptions. And then he's going over it again. It's like, yeah, okay, I can get that, but... I don't need to hear the story about when you were six, man. Each time we do get a tiny little bit more right. or something that relates to what's happening currently in the movie. Mm. But it this is where like the movie starts to feel long for me, where it does feel like it starts to repeat itself. And it's not just that. There are multiple things that the movie does. So, I mean, did he stare at the sun and get like a mathematics superpower? Is that what he's hinting at? Did it give him extra special function for maths? I think... It's not just math. I think that he feels later that it's possibly given him a vision and understanding of everything. Mm -hmm. But for him, math is the easiest way to explain everything and everything can be explained through math. As he says later on, it's not just the numbers, it's what's between the numbers. There's really nothing between the numbers, but he sees something. Mm -hmm. Or at least the movie leads us to believe he sees something. He does say, I don't know if it's at this point or another point, that for a moment when he saw the light creeping in, or for that moment where he's staring at the sun, he understood everything. I think that's what he's saying, that when his vision returned to him, yeah, like he could finally see again and he understood everything, yeah. Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like an origin story for like an X-Men or something like that. It's like, burnt his eyes out, but he gained this power. And when he did, it was the day of his first headache. So we're going to see him constantly taking these pills. And having shaking fits and hearing noises that are possibly not there. Mm -hmm. He, for the most part, feels like a reliable narrator, but there are some moments where I question it. Yeah. 
At the front door, he's always going to check before he leaves. He's always trying to leave when nobody is there. Try to avoid his landlady, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's a kid, Jenna, Gina, I'm not quite sure. I didn't look mm. it up. Uh, but she always has a calculator, and she's trying to get Max to do these amazing math things in his head. She'll give him a number, and he'll give the answer. Yeah. She's there with her calculator, typing it in. We have an incredibly busy street scene where Max is going to go over his assumptions. Mathematics is the language of nature. Number two, everything around us can be represented and understood through numbers. Three, if you graph the numbers of any system, patterns emerge. Therefore, there are patterns everywhere in nature. And this last part was said while staring at a treetop. Is he trying not to stare at the sun, but get close to it? I don't know about that. I think he's constantly looking at that top of the tree. Though. Yeah, because... Okay, I'm just going to skip ahead then and just do that, because that's the whole point of the tree at the end is this tree now, if you look at it now, it's not in any great detail and it's a bit fuzzy, but at the end of the movie when he's looking at the tree, it's in really, the graininess of the movie is gone and it's this really nicely shot tree. You can see the holes in the leaves, you can see them moving, rustling in the wind, they're well defined. It's like finally he's able to enjoy his life now that he's gotten rid of his gift slash burden and so he's like more living in the moment and appreciating the now that's the two trees i'm glad you noticed that because i did not notice that <laughs> at all to me the whole thing is kind of grainy and not great, honestly if, so. you, if you go and look at the end it's like if you if you're if looking you do for like it, a side by side yeah yeah it. you can definitely see it okay he also has the hypothesis that there is a pattern to the stock market as a natural organism he'll be able to figure it out 1250 press return he always does this thing, press return, but then he waits to do it. Yeah, so it's 12.51. <laughs> <laughs> He's sitting in front of many screens. It's his apartment, but I'm just, sometimes I'll call it his office because that's pretty much all it is. Yeah. He also has what looks like a really terribly organized and made homemade server. Mm -hmm. Just fans are everywhere. Nothing seems to be enclosed. It looks bad. Yeah. <laughs> Except for that one glass box that has the chip in the it. The chip, yeah. There's also a stock ticker at the top. Mm -hmm. Sort of um, an LED screen that's giving him the numbers. A phone rings. A rep from Predictive Strategies. Max hangs up. He watches the woman clean the stairs. I think that's his landlady. Mm -hmm. Through the peephole when she's gone. He unlocks his many locks and leaves. But up the stairs comes Devi who tries to care for Max, fixing his hair, saying he needs someone to take care of him. I get the impression that she likes him, but mm. I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, me neither. There's nothing about this character that makes it seem like she needs him. I guess unless she's the type of person that needs a broken person to fix. Maybe, maybe. But even him, he's like, he doesn't want her, you know, <laughs> or at least part of him. Most of him doesn't. I think there is a part of him that does. But, yeah, not the kind of person you want to get in a relationship with. <laughs> so that, to me, didn't work. No, it didn't work for me either. It was a bit weird. I feel like I know what they're going for, but it's not there. Yeah. 1623, checks results, tries to talk to himself. In the diner, though, mm -hmm. a smoker talks to him. We're going to find out later this is Lenny. Max tries to ignore him, but Lenny is not one to be ignored. <laughs> no. But that's the thing as well, is like, I wonder if Devi actually has like an ulterior motive because no, no one wants to talk to Max, but everyone who talks to Max has a plan for Max. And I wonder if Devi has one as well. I wouldn't say no one. 
I think yeah, his well, former teacher. Yeah, his teacher is the only person. Yeah, that's very possible. Mm. I would let you fill in that gap as Debbie has something, though I don't, I don't, know, I don't what. know what it is. <laughs> yeah, unless she thinks he's going to make a fortune. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Does she know? Yeah. But I feel like she has no clue what he does. I think nobody in that apartment building really knows what he does. That's why he has so many locks. And Mm -hmm. he obviously is not inviting anybody in to see what's going on. Lenny tries to talk to Max about the Jewish faith. Annoyed, Max just, I think he starts doing the shaking thing. Mm -hmm. And he ends up running to the bathroom, takes more pills, gives himself a shot. He has a pretty professional injection shot system. It's a big gun, yeah. (laughs) He rubs at his head and he sits coughing. There's a loud sound that bothers him, but I don't know if it's a real sound Mm -hmm. or if this is something in his head. Yeah. The front door rattles as though someone is trying to break in. The door opens. The movie cuts to white. Mm -hmm. Max wakes on his bathroom floor. He gets a call from Marcy, who I think is the same person who tried to call before, the one who's constantly trying to recruit him. She says she got the phone number and address from Columbia. The university. (laughs) That's how I know all about you. Yeah. Max goes to Saul Robeson's place. This is played by Mark Mogulis, who we'd recognize from movies like Scarface. He was even in uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Was he in Breaking Bad? He was, yeah. Yeah, that's where I know him from. I think now that would be what most people probably recognize him from. But I think he's, he's in been a, in a lot of things. He's in a bunch of Darren Aronofsky films as well. I think he's in The Fountain. I think he's in... He's in Requiem, Requiem for a Dream. Dream. Yeah. I just saw that on the IMDb uh, page. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to always pop up in Aronofsky's films. They play Go. This is a big part of their thing. He tells Max to stop thinking, to just use intuition. He also tells him to take a break, that he's working too hard. He named his new fish Icarus after Max. <laughs> He says he looked for 40 years for the pattern in pie, but he never found a pattern. I believe he says it was kind of a waste, but Max says, no, look, you found things. It just wasn't the pattern. Mm -hmm. Subway, we have a voiceover. Max says that Saul died a bit when he stopped researching, but we find out that he stopped researching because he had a stroke. Yeah. There's a singing man on the train, but he seems to disappear. Very creepy guy. Yeah. Which is one of the things that makes me go, well, Is Max having visions? Is he seeing things? Is this supposed to be part of his knowing everything? Is this just part of his affliction? The guy pops up again later, doesn't he? And he's on the subway with the paper, isn't he? He's got the the same guy with the newspaper, I think. And he interacts with him there. Maybe that's just Max blanking on time and the guy just got off the train or... That could be. Something like that. I'd be happy for you to fill in saying that Max loses track of time because there are a number of scenes here where that would fit Mm -hmm. and that would explain some of the reasons he awakes in places he wasn't in before. Right. Like like exactly what we just talked about where he's sitting on his chair looking at the door rattling, but then he wakes up under the sink basically in the bathroom. But the door was not actually rattling. No. It didn't really open, which again leads me to go, well, how reliable is Max as a narrator? I mean, he's not... I mean, he is narrating because there's so much voiceover. (laughs) But he's not really narrating those parts. But we, as the viewer, are following through his point of view. And there definitely wasn't a brain on the subway stairs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's a part here that I really don't like as well on the subway. It really annoys me for some reason. And that is when he's, like, penciling things in on the newspaper, he's, like, penciling in, like, really basic equations like pi r squared and but, you know, it's like these very, very simple pi equations on this paper. Like, where's, like, the 
that you know where's like the real maths problems why are you writing down this stuff that a third grader can do there's no complex like you know stuff like irrational numbers or p versus np or um what's it called the i wrote down here like yeah large cardinals there's even something called pi plus e which is a really hard problem nothing just oh pi r square and oh this is the diameter and this is the circumference (laughs) let me try to throw in a couple things here one that's for the viewer has nothing to do with max if i was to fill in the gap for them though i would say that max is constantly going back to the basics right if he's always checking his assumptions he would also be checking his basics as well and making sure that his assumptions on the basics still apply right so i can kind of give them that but it's really just a storytelling mechanic to give us our way in like the whole folding the paper and pushing the pen through like in to explain any sort of space time yes (laughs) yeah or or maybe this is max's way of calming down doing basic doing really simple things simple tasks it's fine i don't mind it if i don't think about it too much and that's one that i can kind of let go right i do kind of go why are you always ruining this paper (laughs) because it's always on his sort of stock data Mm. i would assume he would use the sports page to do that (laughs) right use a page you're not caring about why are you messing up the page that you really care about that part to me feels like a niggling detail that should have been done differently right in the diner we're going to see lenny meyer again he arrives and he tries small talk with max which doesn't work at first but then he starts talking about number theory says that he also does numbers but with the torah He shows examples like man is three and woman is 41. Put those together, you get 44, which is the same word in Hebrew for child. Mm. Interesting stuff. And this kind of gets Max into that. Do you think that they knew about Max beforehand? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if just Lenny figured out that he really does know about numbers. No, because even later on in the thing, I think they're just lying. They're like, oh, we didn't realize you were the Max until I met you at the diner. But I think they did. I think they've been tracking him the whole time. Uh, I think that's just a lie. Yeah. I mean, Max must be quite famous. Published at 16, PhD at 20 years old, super, super brainy mathematician. You know, in certain circles... In would, certain circles, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He would be he would be well-known, and they've tracked him down. Yeah. Max teaches a bit about Fibonacci and the golden ratio, because a couple of the numbers that Lenny brought up are Fibonacci numbers. Right. To me, though, I, the problem is just we've seen so much stuff that had Fibonacci in it that maybe in 98 it wasn't as well known. No, but things like, what, the Da Vinci Code and things like that, yeah. So, yeah, Fibonacci nonsense. <laughs> it's not nonsense, it's real. But even now, it's like, yeah, again, the Fibonacci sequence is, of course, real. But the whole golden ratio thing is like mathematicians and scientists have kind of made it work. It doesn't actually really work. It's kind of a little bit of finessing. It just makes me feel like a character like Lenny, who deals with numbers and things, would have heard about the Fibonacci sequence. Right. <laughs> or maybe he's just, you know, maybe he's just like, just wants to get in his good side. Like, oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> that is possible. Max seems to be hypnotized a bit by the creamer and the coffee and the smoke around him because Lenny always smokes when he comes in. When I wrote down my notes, I was like, oh, maybe they're hinting at Brownian motion because uh, the guy who the guy who developed the equation for Brownian motion, which is like how a substance will disperse through air or a substance will disperse through water, kind of it's almost random, but it has uh, the chaos has a kind of uh, order to it. 
And so I was like, oh, maybe they're just hinting at how Brownian motion was discovered, because supposedly the guy who discovered it and put a math equation on it got it from looking into his coffee and seeing those patterns and stuff. But later on, he's like, no, he's just seeing spirals and he's seeing the golden ratio, isn't he? In his office or apartment, he restates his assumptions and his hypothesis. He draws on a stock report again. <laughs> he pauses before hitting return again. I think it's because he fears that his theory is always wrong. Mm-hmm. We are also going to hear sex happening next door. Is this Debbie next door? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is her. Yeah. But are the sounds real or are they just in his head kind of thing? Like, I wonder about that. If that's part of his kind of desire to be in a relationship and stuff like that, like to have someone that kind of blocks it out. Because this apartment does, at points, represent his mind, doesn't it? It's got all the goo and stuff dripping around and all like the... It's, it's, it's not a normal apartment. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for sure. The power will go out. He replaces the fuse. That doesn't get the computer on, so he puts on mask and gloves. He has to go through and find a literal bug in the system. So this is the ant. Mm-hmm. And there's also a goo. I wasn't sure, to be honest. Even this time, I forgot. I mean, it's been 20 years at least since I've seen this. Yeah, I, I thought the chip was hot and melted his rubber glove. Mm, right, okay. This is part where the grainy, not clear picture doesn't help. Mm-hmm. And having white goo on white gloves doesn't help. Right. He's going to get really frustrated, and he throws that computer part on the ground, breaking it. Outside, he sits looking at the sky, or possibly again at that tree. The voiceover talks about the experiments that failed. He throws his paper away and goes to Saul's. Yeah, because he's kind of bummed out because he's like, there's some stock that he's been tracking, and he's like, according to my theory, it should be six and a half. But it's never been under it's never been under forty points in twenty years. That's that's a big that's a big thing because that comes up in a minute. Max says his computer Euclid crashed. He lost all the data and burnt the mainframe. He spit out numbers. Saul wants to know the numbers. He thinks it might have something similar to do with his pie research. Mm-hmm. Then he tells the story of Archimedes, who, when his wife finally told him to get into the bath. That's how he finally solved the problem the king had tried to get him to solve. Eureka! (laughs) Which Max interprets a totally different moral than what Saul is trying to impart. Listen to your wife. Go relax. Yeah. You need to relax. That's what he constantly is telling him. In the subway station, we're going to see a man across the way with blood dripping down his fingers. We're going to see him again later. Mm -hmm. On the train, Max is going to take that paper about the stock market dive. He realizes that the numbers were right. Yeah, that that stock has gone to six and a half. Outside of the station, Marcy Dawson is going to (laughs) kind of accost (laughs) Max. Oh, I didn't think you were going to (laughs) show. And he didn't really want to. (laughs) He does not like her at all. He walks off, paranoid, looking around him as he walks. He looks in all the papers in like a bodega sees the numbers are what he thought they were from the other paper. Mm -hmm. In the park, he's trying to find the paper he threw away, but he can't find it. Outside, again, he tries to avoid Marcy at his building. He's like looking at his apartment building. She's standing outside. He bumps into Lenny, coincidentally. Yeah. And Lenny takes him to some temple place, I think, and says they're looking for a word that is 216 digits long. It is... A pattern that is in the Torah. I don't understand this at all. 
Like, I understand the concept, but mm-hmm. how do they know it's a 216-character word? I don't know. Just research. If you don't know the pattern, how do you know how long the pattern needs to be? Yeah. Who knows? I, they kind of... Do they not explain it in that? I think they explain it somehow, but it's just mumbo-jumbo rubbish to me. It's just like, yeah. Okay, it makes sense because it's in the film, and that's the number they've gone with in the film. I don't know if that's actually a real... If that is the real number, because this is a real thing. Like, people are trying to decode the Torah through numbers, and that, that stuff about child plus woman... Uh, sorry, man plus woman equals child is all numerology kind of stuff, but it's all real. Everything has been assigned numbers. The Torah is quite interesting in that respect. It's got a lot of code in it. Yeah, it's, it's weird, but I don't know if that's just man-made nonsense that we've just assigned numbers to them because it works, you know? But I So I don't know. Maybe, maybe the 260 number is real for real numerologists studying the Torah and then they've just chosen to use that in the film or if they, so they're, they're working backwards from that or if that's just a nonsense number they made up for the movie. I'm, not, I'm really not sure. He goes to Saul's and he talks about the 216 number digit, says Euclid, the computer's weird picks for the stocks actually came true. Saul tries to say that the Go board was traditionally thought of in Japan as the universe. Mm -hmm. It's chaotic. No two games will ever be the same. Max argues that as the game continues, there are less options, so it becomes a pattern, and everything should be like that because he wants to see a pattern. And Saul says, as we've talked about in other episodes, if you want to see something, you will suddenly start seeing it everywhere. Hello, something in the dark? (laughs) So, yes. Here, they kind of fight about this, and Saul argues against becoming a numerologist. You're a scientist, not a numerologist. Yeah, he's like, once you, what's his exact words? He's like, once you leave behind scientific rigor, then you just become a numerologist. Max, again, runs into Marcy outside, says he's not interested. She offers him a prototype computer chip. He's tempted, but he, shaking, he takes off. He suffers one of his attacks. Waiting in the subway, there's the bloody hand man again. Max yells, goes to confront him, only finds a small puddle of blood, but follows the drips to the brain on the stairs, which he pokes with a pen, and he hears the train whistle, and he pokes it again, and there's another train whistle, and then he stabs it, and then a train's about to attack him, and then fade to white. Yeah. Max wakes on the train Mm -hmm. (laughs) with a bloody nose, At Coney Island, he washes his face in the sea. There's a person with a metal detector on the beach, which that takes a long time. But this is like the first quiet moment we've had in the whole movie. Right. The movie is constantly bombarding me with sounds, with voiceover, with everything. I didn't mind because this is the first time I felt like my brains had a break for even a second in this movie. And it's what makes this movie really hard for me to watch and get through. The pacing is quite off, in my opinion. Mm. I mean, I I like that because it puts you in the film. So it's like just everything you just described is exactly why I like this film, because I feel like I'm playing a game. You know, I feel like I'm I'm the character and it's like, yeah, my brain has been on for this whole time. And now it's like, ah, this is what it must feel like to be a mathematical genius or something. You know, it's like (laughs) all that noise is finally behind me and I can get five minutes of peace. So I, I appreciate it when movies put you in like that and and kind of immerse you max is going to pick up a spiral shell back at his apartment office max kills an ant and looks at the motherboards the floor the goo comes off of them he tastes it 
<laughs> I wrote that down in my notes as well. It's like, no, no, no. Smell it. Okay. Taste it. Come on, Max. Come on, Max. This isn't the salt desert from Star Wars. He goes, well, even that, you shouldn't. Exactly. That was so dumb. That was, oh, man. Oh, I hated that bit. <laughs> he goes out to borrow iodine from Devi because he needs it to prepare a slide for his microscope. He looks at the goo under the microscope. I think it's meant to look like a spiral, but I don't feel like it does. I thought it was one of the Torah symbols. I thought it was one of the, the, the letters. That would be much more fitting, actually. As a spiral, it doesn't work. doesn't work, no. He calls Lenny and says he wants to help. So that would fit into your theory that it looks like one of the symbols. Right. He rebuilds his computer with a voiceover about new evidence. Talks about, remember, Pythagoras. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have watched this so close after something in the dirt. <laughs> the universe is made of numbers. The golden ratio, represented by the golden rectangle, which Da Vinci used to make the golden spiral. Yeah. And then Pythagoras found nature has tons of spirals. Okay. Yes, it's true. I think the problem is that you and I have, in so many movies and so many games, we've just heard this so many times. <laughs> At the time, in 98, this probably would have been newer information for me. Right. But I still would have found it hard to swallow i think but maybe that's me looking back at my younger self with my older brain but i remember watching this movie feeling like a lot of it was gibberish mm -hmm. it was somewhat interesting but overall forgettable and i'm watching it now going i i could see why mm -hmm. i thought that originally this is where he talks about staring into the sun put everything into focus he had a moment of brief clarity understanding the whole world max says he's going out on a limb he calls Marcy. He wants the chip. He tells Marcy to call off the surveillance. She agrees to it. Is the surveillance real? I I don't know. I don't care either. <laughs> I thought it was all in his head. Yeah. There was a definite point in the train before his like second kind of seizure where he's super, super, super paranoid. And he feels, and we feel that everyone is looking at him. But they could just be looking at him because he's he looks like he needs help. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if he's having one of his attacks, people yeah. are going to be looking. Yeah. So yeah, he is paranoid. I don't know. I, I think the guy on the bench was maybe surveying him, but again, it's not. It's not really important for me. He says, "You're going to leave the suitcase outside the door. You knock, I knock back. Mm -hmm. That's how you know I'm there." In the diner, Lenny gives the Torah to Max, which I think is on a floppy. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand at first until Max got home and put the floppy in the computer because I don't think it's shown very well in the scene. He just sort of drops something in front of Max and we're camera wise behind Max. Yeah. So I didn't know what he was giving him. <laughs> you think you can really find the number? If it's in there, I'll find it. With the new chip installed, Max again hesitates to push return, take some pills. The sex noises from next door are intensified. Again, are they real? We don't know. Mm. He walks in a tiny circle in a room for a very long time. <laughs> Enough to make me dizzy. The numbers compiled just to zeros. He crumples the disc and throws it out. That's not helpful. Yep. <laughs> Max screams. He runs into the bathroom. He cries and he tries to inject medicine. Nothing seems to work. He finds something on the side of his head. He's pushing his hair down and trying to look at it. I did not know what he was looking at at this point. It isn't until he shaves his head that I actually see what's going on. Yeah. He bashes his head against a mirror, and then he takes that injection and he puts it right into his head. Yeah, he takes the, that gun. Yeah, it looks like a, an old 50s laser gun, doesn't it? <laughs> like some sci-fi show. 
But that solves the problem when he shoots himself in the head with one of those guys. He's like, doink, you're right. Well, there's power problems in the room again. Numbers and patterns flash on the screen. He writes the numbers down. 314 is in there, but that seems like a bit of a stretch. Mm -hmm. There's a white screen for us. Screen goes white. Screen goes black. We hear the phone ring. Debbie is there. She says he's busy. Max apparently was screaming so loud that everybody came in. He's on the ground. His nose is bleeding. The landlady's yelling at him for having too many locks. You're on your way out of here. Max yells for all of them to leave. The phone continues to ring at the diner. Max looks for a pattern in the long numbers. He's circling and crossing, and I, I don't know what he's really doing, honestly. <laughs> it's, just, it's math stuff. Good visuals, I guess, <laughs> but I don't think that would really work. In his bathroom, Max now has a shaved head. We can see the weird scar that he has. He looks at old brain charts and marks a square on his head based around the bump. Mm -hmm. He watches the stock ticker. The phone continues ringing. The ant is there again. All goes silent, which even the beach time, it felt like other things were happening. This is the only really silent time in the whole movie, and it goes dead silent. Mm -hmm. He says he knows the numbers on the stock ticker as they're going across. At Saul's place, he says Saul lied to him. Saul says certain problems lead to a computer loop, and then the computer crashes just after being aware of its own nature. A computer will gain consciousness, and by gaining consciousness, it dies. Mm -hmm. Which I think is very much what they're trying to say in this movie with Max, is that he knows too much and it's going to kill him. And that's why he's having these attacks. It feels like a bit much to me. But I do think that that's what, what is happening, or mm -hmm. that's what they're trying to say. Yeah, I mean, in, in more than one way. Yeah, it's like, because you've got the kind of biological side of it, like just his brain is too overpowered, basically. It's, it's this this whole mathematical problem is melting his brain. Then you've got the religious side of it, where it's like he's a vessel of God, and he's he's got this powerful knowledge, and he's not ready for it, and it's killing him, and he needs to get it out. And it's like, yeah, so you've got the science versus kind of religion side of the arguments. Saul says it's a dead end. Max sees it as a door. They argue Max is in a subway chase with a person taking a picture of him. He loses him. I gotta say this, any sort of running scene in this movie is awful to watch. This is, this was like, not the origin. It's a thing called the Snorri Cam. The first instance of it was like 1932 or something like that. But basically the rig, it was too, it wasn't good enough to hold like an old 35mm camera. Two brothers, no sorry, they're not called, but they're called the Snorri Brothers. They're from Iceland, but they're not related. They just have the same surname. They were at a, a gig, they were making a music video for a punk band, and they had this snorri cam rig where it shot their own faces. And someone who was a friend of the band saw them and was like, oh, I know a guy who might be interested in that. He took it to Darren Aronofsky and he's like, oh yeah, I want to use that. And so this is kind of like one of the first, not the first, but one of the first where it kind of took off. Because you see this a lot now. Not a lot, but you see it, you know, you know a fair amount of movies have this, this kind of camera shot now. Yeah, but I don't like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's... Certainly, um, I think... What you, don't, second, you, what, you don't like it in Sir Digby Chicken Caesar? How dare you? I think it's tolerable there. <laughs> it's more like the Bourne movies when they use it. Right, right, right. It becomes really hard to follow what's happening. Yeah, so I, I just like that bit of trivia, because I was like, I wonder where that came from. Like, who invented that? Because I, I thought it was actually Darren Aronofsky that invented that, because that was definitely the first time I'd seen it, but did a little bit of digging, and it's like, yeah, this Snorri cam... Two Icelandic dudes invented it, and then some guy, some assistant 
friend of Darren Aronofsky picked it up and was like, yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> Max is going to catch up to the photographer eventually. The photographer complains, saying he's just a student taking pictures for class. Max destroys, I don't know if he destroys the camera, but he definitely destroys the film. Yeah. But right after that, Marcy and her thugs catch up to him. <laughs> okay, yeah. how did that happen? And Marcy's just totally over the top at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, because they're not who they say they are, are they? They're, they're another weird cult almost of their own. They're like looking to bring down the stock market and stuff like that. That's why they need him. Is that what they are? I think so, yeah. There are some re- revolutionaries that want to crack the stock market because they want to break it. Where did you get that from? Yeah, it was in the film. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. I didn't get that at all. I interpreted it as they wanted the numbers so they could capitalize on the stock market no, and make think, a lot of money. I think they're trying to crash it. I'm, I, I, tell us in the comments if I'm right or wrong, but I heard them saying that they wanted to crash it. Okay. Because they, they're not nice people. No, no, but that's the thing. Is It's just... What is she going to get out of him at this point? She ends up punching him. There's no point to this at all. If you just harass him, you're not getting anything out of him. I don't know what she thinks he has. Yeah. Well, he's got the number, but it's in his brain. It's like, the more you hit me, the more I might forget that number. But how does she know he has the number? I don't think she knows at this point, no. Anyway. She wants a result. And he already said, I don't know if I can give you a result. And for us, as the viewer, it's been like a day. Yeah, <laughs> it's not been long, has it? Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. It feels way over the top. Nothing here works for me. Mm. I do have in my notes that Marcy says the market will crash, but I thought she was more wanting to protect it from crashing. Uh, maybe, well, maybe. Maybe maybe I missed the point. She does have his original sheet, so they stole it out of the park. They're the ones thing. that took it, yeah. So she's already got one half of it. Is that only 108 numbers? Yeah, I think so. How do we know that? Did you count through them? No. no. Um, but it just didn't look like 200 numbers when I looked at it on the screen. Okay. I'll take your word for it. And he does say he's got the other half in his in his brain to the um, the Jewish guys, doesn't he? So. But she says, oh, this is about survival of the fittest. <laughs> I really just lost at that point. I was laughing when I watched. I, I just don't want to deal with it. Lenny rescues him. So he's also conveniently there. Yeah. He asks about the number. He punches him again to try to get them. Everybody's punching him to get the number. That doesn't work. Yeah. He admits that Marcy has some of the numbers. Max seems to escape, but then he doesn't because he bites the arm of somebody. And then there's a weird bit. We see bathroom. Max enters with a drill. There's the sink and ants in the brain are in the sink. Mm -hmm. But then we get Max waking in the room with Rabbi Cohen talks about, I'm sorry if Lenny hurt you he's just very energetic and he tries to be the nice guy for a little bit Mm -hmm. but it doesn't last very long he tells the story of the romans destroying everything part of that was the ark of the tabernacle which i think is what you were talking about it's a real thing it had the original 10 commandments once a year one elected person could enter and had to say a single word if they did and the man was a true man of god all would be well, and he'd leave and everything would be fine. Mm -hmm. But then the Romans destroyed that. He says, again, the word is 216 letters long. I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. If that's somewhere in there or somewhere in the traditions, I don't know. But to me, it just feels like it's made up. Max thinks he saw God in the sun, or at least that's kind of the way I'm interpreting that. The rabbi says, but you're not pure, Max. It can't be you. It's killing you. That's 
That's what this is doing. You need to give it to us so we can have a pure man go in and do this. And Max says, well, you're not exactly pure either. Yeah, he's like, it was given to me. This is also where he just talks about, there's meaning between the numbers. You have to understand everything. I was chosen. Then we have a montage of images, bits of voiceover that I feel are just unnecessary. This is the part, too, where I just zoned out. It's like, there's really nothing here. At Saul's place, I guess it's his granddaughter, his daughter. Somebody's there. Yeah. Just enough to say Saul died having another stroke. When Max goes in, he sees the go board is set into a spiral. There are all sorts of notes and books that are open. But on top of the go board, I guess, are the 216 numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. And by exploring that again, that's what killed Saul. Yeah. That's what we're led to believe, right? I would, I would imagine so, yeah. Max takes the paper in the apartment. He's shaking a lot. He's upset. He throws the pill. He shouts no. He destroys his computer stuff. He opens a window. Max, we see in a void of whiteness as he's just saying the numbers. He wakes to Debbie holding him. He cries, but then he's alone. So is she ever there? Probably not. In the bathroom, he burns the numbers. The voiceover tells us again about staring into the sun. (laughs) And then we watch him drill into his own head. Outside, he looks up at the trees. You say it's much clearer now. The little girl quizzes him in math. Max can't do it, and he smiles. He's finally happy. Ignorance is bliss for him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's the movie. Yeah. And then we end with the same song as we started. Yeah. And the Snorri Cam bros get uh, a credit as well in this. Uh, they show up in the end. That's it. And it's like, yeah, he's happy. And yeah, I, I don't mind this ending. I don't mind the ending. I think it's honestly the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I get that. <laughs> the last maybe three minutes are fantastic, but it took a long way to get yeah. there. Yeah, from that part where the, the rabbi is talking to him, to him sitting on the bench, or not, to him drilling his brain. It's like 10 minutes of nothingness there, really. (laughs) It just could have been one minute. And that's for me where it does fall into, like I said, it feels like an ambitious student film. It feels very good if that's the way I was looking at it. But as a professional film, it feels a bit weak. I feel like a lot of the characters are very two-dimensional. There's not much to them. Mm -hmm. Debbie seems to want to care for Max, but we have no idea why. We don't understand a lot of the motivations of the characters or what's going on. Max's world just seems absurd to me. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we know the motivations of everybody. I, I, I know the motivations of everybody except for Devi. That's the only one I don't get. Like, everyone else has clear motivation. They all want the number from Max for their different reasons. But it's all for reasons that, to me, feel very Da Vinci Code-esque. And <laughs> I guess that, to me, doesn't really hold. Right. Maybe that's my problem with it. The amount of noise and visuals... To, you love it, but to me, it's rough, rough to, to sit through and watch. And it it took doing the podcast for me to want to see it again. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to. Mm-hmm. I feel again, but I'm going to say this probably about every Aronofsky, is that it does feel a bit like style over substance. Not as bad as a mother where I feel like the whole movie is just style. Yeah. This one there tries to be a story, but to me, the story feels like a really solid 30 minutes short, but it feels stretched here. Yeah, there's definitely bits where it's, yeah, it feels, just feels like way too long. I just feel like we're hitting the same notes over and over again. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the pattern that we're supposed to see. Mm. But as a viewer, I find it uninteresting. Yeah, an hour. An hour long would have been good. <laughs> Cut out 20 minutes. 
But still, otherwise, yeah, I, I liked it. It was his. I think this was his first film, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like him. He's got you know, we share a name, so I've, I've got. <laughs> Is to that like all him. you need? I don't think that's all you need. No, I just like his. I like his style. Like you said, is yeah. His, Mother was very yeah. There's a lot of style, but I, I like the story and I like thinking about everything in, in in his movies. But yeah, I don't know. This was. The, 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 I think you like this one maybe a bit more than those because this is the one where it's just like everything's laid out and it's like here's the story. Boom, go. There's not much you got to fill in, you know. Yeah, I think there is still some stuff to fill in, but not too. But not much. The bulk of it is done for you. Yeah. Yes, and I think that. That is part of the thing. This movie feels like at least it tried to have a semi-regular or kind of understandable story structure. I think you might like Requiem for a Dream then, because that's got a definite story to it too. Um, not the fact. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact, but yeah, I'm not looking forward to discussing that with you. <laughs> You're not? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, we'll see about that. I don't regret having watched it, but I definitely didn't want to watch it a second time, and I didn't feel like I got a lot more out of watching it a second time. So I don't know that I will go to see it again. Right. Is this one, do you think, you will come back to again? Probably not, because I've seen it again now, and it's like, yeah, kind of done with it now, but I will go back and listen to the soundtrack again. <laughs> gaps for the more gaps created. 